You're listening to the Mobcast Network. All right, good morning. I uh, hope everyone's having a good time so far. Uh, we're here with Mr. Tom Kane. Right there. He's done so many voices, I can't mention them all here. So now we're getting to hear his voice. Yes, one that no one hired before. Uh, I'd like to say if anybody would like to ask any questions, there's a microphone there. Feel free to step up at any time. Periodically, we're going to stop and ask anyone that's a question. Just shout it out if you got something. All right. Yeah, we can probably hear you in here. Um, I guess I'm going to ask a simple one. What made you interested in voice acting? I just, you know, I was a kid that grew up watching reruns of cartoons, you know. Uh, uh, you know, Saturday morning, of course, back then was when you watched cartoons. And there was no, you know, there were only three stations in the country. <laughs> so, you, you know, you either watched, uh, you know, one network would be alive with Warner Brothers. You'd watch like Warner Brothers cartoons on, say, ABC. This is when ABC wasn't part of Disney. And, uh, or if you were a, a Disney, you know, uh, cult member, then you would watch a different network. But uh, yeah, I just, you know, I, 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 I used to just be fascinated by all the silly voices and I would just try to copy what I heard and imitate it. My, my, mom, my mom tells me that when I was like two years old, I would wander around when we were visiting my grandma and grandpa. Um, and he was from Germany. He had a very thick German accent, so a lot like Arnold Schwarzenegger, actually. And uh, he'd be watching, you know, football on Sunday afternoon, and the quarterback would drop the ball, and he'd cuss at the TV in German, but nobody knew what he was saying. And apparently, I would wander around, and imitate what Grandpa was saying. He just laughed his ass off because I was saying some really nasty stuff. As a two-year-old, people was he like, my mom be like, Daddy, why that's so funny? And he goes, he goes, he goes, uh, you don't want to know what the kid's saying, but he's got a good German accent. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I, <clears throat> I was, uh, what really got me off, off uh, doing this as a career though, I was 15 years old. Uh, it was 1977, and Star Wars had come out on May 30th, uh, which was the last day of uh, ninth grade for me. And of course, you know, like every other kid that, that summer, uh, you know, the, the world changed, you know. <laughs> The universe was larger, <laughs> so um, you know I, I was always trying to, you know, my God, I spent, you know, I must have seen Star Wars twelve times that summer, and I was trying to imitate everything in there, of course, I'm trying to do my best Vader and three PO, and, um, and uh, I just thought it would be a hoot to hear myself on TV or radio because back then. And still today, especially on the radio, most local commercials in most cities in America, they're all done by FM disc jockeys. So they all sound exactly the same. You know, Come on down to the waterbed gallery, it's Sunday, it's Sunday, you know. And, uh, and I realized even at that age, I'm like, you know, it all sounds the same. I just, I tune it all out. So I thought, you know, maybe if they did it in a cooler, you know, different voice, an accent or something like that. So I just started calling local advertisers. You know, I was 15 and I was, had no sense of tact. <laughs> be like, hi, yeah, my name's Tom, and I heard your commercial for the Waterbed Gallery, and it really sucked. And uh, I can do something better, and, uh, which I don't recommend doing today. <clears throat> but one day I called uh, the American Cancer Society had a uh, uh, PSA running. It was just terrible. It sounded like they took a you know Radio Shack 
cassette recorder and stuck it in front of the receptionist and said, here, read this, and that's kind of what they did. And, uh, and they, about an hour after I called them, and said, yeah, I'll do your commercial. Uh, I got a phone call back from the largest ad agency in the city at that time who was doing stuff for them for free. And they thought I was an adult, and they thought I was a real voiceover guy. They, they didn't know, because I'm just a voice on the phone. You know, I put on my best adult sounding voice back then, which is kind of sounded like this. And um, they're like, yeah, we're doing a, another uh, commercial on Thursday, and we'd love to have a professional voiceover. And they'd be, well, professional went right over my head. I'd never heard from voiceover before, but I figured that out. So I had to have my daddy drive me. And of course, they walk up to him. And they're like, oh, well, thank you for doing this. And here's the script. And he's like, no, that's, that's who you were talking to. You know? Anyway, but they, uh, it, it almost didn't happen because they were all, they were pissed off because they, you know, they had rented the studio and it was, you know, they, and it was coming out of the agency's pocket. And the, the poor guy that had called me and had me come in to do it was getting his butt chewed because they're like, you didn't know it was a 15 year old who'd never done this before? You know, on the, on the other side of the glass, I just see this guy going, <laughs> this boss is going, and the engineer's got, you know, he's adjusting my microphone, and I'm like going, I'm looking at the script, and the guy goes, uh, I, look, I look up, and I said, uh, do you want this in some kind of accent? And the creative director gets the button, he goes, what? And I said, do you want this in some kind of accent? Because what, what do you mean accent? I didn't know the term dialect. And I said, well, yeah, I was thinking this would sound good like the old man, the Pepperidge Farms guy, for the Pepperidge Farms commercials. And he said, <coughs> you can talk like a 75-year-old man from New England? And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and everybody. And, and he was like, let's hear that. And I was like, so I still remember that. It's really funny. You never forget your first commercial. But it was every week then, a couple dozen Kansas City families have a couple dozen garage sales. But on July 1st and 2nd, a thousand Kansas City families are going to have just one garage sale. A very big garage sale. A sale so big, as a matter of fact, it'll make the walls of the Glenwood Manor Convention Hall bulge. We call it the Kansas City Garage Sale. All the proceeds go to the American Cancer Society. But all the bargains, well, those go to you. <laughs> and I read it just like that, and I look up, and they're both going, yeah, that, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so I did it two more times, and they're all smiles and are happy. And then a week later, the same agency called for a different project. And I, again, I didn't even occur to me to say, I'm like, yeah, sure. Oh, that sounds, yeah, I love it. And the same thing happened. My dad drove me down, you know, this is like June. And same thing, they walk up to him, and he's like, no, that's my son, it's him. Uh, but this time, they said, uh, well, we're going to have to have your dad sign the contracts because you're a minor. Okay. So my dad's like filling out paperwork. And what I didn't know was this was six television commercials and it was real Screen Actors Guild contracts, you know, and I was like suddenly going to be part of the Screen Actors Guild. My dad goes, he's just like, where he is? He's filling out this. Tommy, they're paying you. Oh, cool. <laughs> I'm thinking like $20, you know. It's 1977 and I'm 15. And he goes, oh, they're paying you a lot. I'm thinking like $40, $50. <laughs> what, crazy money? I'm like, how much are they paying me? And he 
was $1,200. And I swear, my, I couldn't wrap my brain around. My brain, the actual thought that went through my head was, well, is it 12 or is it 100? <laughs> and then I went, oh God, I'm getting a car. <laughs> so I did, I bought my first car with my first paying gig. It was a 1972 Ford Gran Torino, 454 Ford Barrel, lay a scrap from here to, uh, Yes, so, and, then, and one thing led to another. By the time I got out of high school, I'd done 40 or 50 or so commercials, and by the time I got out of college, I'd done two or 300. And uh, moved to Chicago and started landing national spots, you know, for Mounds and Almond Joy candy bars and Hellman's mayonnaise and Pizza Hut and stuff like that. But, and I knew, but I wanted to do animation. So uh, after a couple years of that, I had enough encouragement for people saying, because everything I was getting hired for were character voices. And uh, so I moved to LA and the rest is history. So, but, uh, but yeah, most of my voiceover work though on a day-to-day -day basis is not animation. You guys hear me all the time, but you probably don't know it because um, uh, most of the stuff I do uh, is movie trailers. Um, there's only a handful of us in the whole industry, there's maybe 20 people that do almost all the movie trailers. And I don't have that kind of inner world. I don't, I don't do that. I don't have that kind of voice. Those are all FM disc jockeys that now are doing movie trailers. But, um, uh, you know, to me, everything's a put on. I don't, you know, this is my natural voice. No one's gonna hire this for anything. So, you know, to me, everything's a character voice. So when I do movie trailers, I'm doing a trailer guy. And I've, I've got a couple of voices that have become really popular over the years for, as a movie trailer voice. So, um, uh, I mean, I just, you know, I just recorded a new Deadpool yesterday, or Friday, no, Thursday, Thursday. But, uh, what it sounds like is um, uh, Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool 2, starts Friday in theaters everywhere, rated PG-13. Tim Allen is the Shaggy Dog 4 from Walt Disney Pictures, starts Friday in theaters everywhere. That's me. And I do a lot of the, I do a lot of the Harry Potter trailers, you know, there's a world beyond your wildest imagination. <laughs> so you hear that kind of stuff, don't you? Those are me. <laughs> and, uh, and then for the Disney stuff, I do a lot of Disney uh, trailers and, and uh, that's more of the standard uh, Disney, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's Walt Disney's The Little Mermaid 4. Starts Friday at theaters everywhere. Starring all your favorite Disney characters. You know, so I do a lot of that. So. Anyway, what you're saying is, unless you're a hermit living with no television, <laughs> probably everyone in the United States has heard your voice. Say, say, yeah, probably on a daily basis somewhere. I, I do promos for CBS and Fox, uh, for The Simpsons and stuff like that. You know, is it, oh, the next Simpsons. You know, March turns out law. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> But that's, yeah, on a day-to-day, -day. I do anywhere from, oh my gosh, on a slow day, two, two sessions and five or six auditions, and on a, on a fast day, eight or nine different projects, paid projects, and 10 or 15 auditions. So, you know, I, I average three to five recording sessions every day, so. Have you ever had to do a project where, like, you're the only voice actor and you're doing everybody on the show? Oh, uh, no, I haven't, but, I mean, not really, but there have been times when I've I've been a couple of the characters that have to interact with each other, which is kind of weird. I mean, I did a we did a whole feature film, uh, animated feature film um, called the uh, the Next Avengers, and I was Ultron and Iron Man and Tony Stark. So I 
you know, spent a big chunk of the movie fighting myself, <laughs> which is kind of weird. I'm like, I'm like, I got to kick my own ass with it. Uh, yeah, it was a, that was a, that was a fun one because, um, and I'm not, you know, some guys can do that on the fly. They can actually just go back and forth, and I'm like, yeah, it's, I can do that, but it, it'll, I'll get a better performance if I can just sort of read all, you know, one character and then read the other character. You know, it makes for better separation. But, the, but that's when the only that that actually that that the next Avengers was a, about the only. Uh, cartoon role I've ever done where it really was just me, you know, that my Tony Stark was just kind of me talking, I, you know, it's like, you know, it was, you know it the, all the Avengers have children in this one and they're all like, you know, 12 years old, so you know, I'm just talking to them like their dad, you know, and uh, I'm like, yeah, I can do that, I've got a baseball team of kids, so I can pretend, but, uh, and Ultron was kind of my regular voice, I just sort of brought it down and made it a little more deadpan, it's like, you know, when you do Exited the planet, my plans will be finished, you know, that sort of thing. And then they put a little, a little, you know, on it to make it sound more body. But uh, yeah, it was a fun one. So, are you in the studio a lot doing this, or can you actually work from home? Oh, I do everything from home. I've, I've got a broadcast squad. I'm in the, my studio, sound quality is And um, because I had it built by actual people that know what they're doing. Um, and uh, uh, it, it, part of that was out of necessity. I mean, I got this, I don't live in LA anymore. We moved a decade ago back to Kansas City because it, it just got to be impossible. Uh, Los Angeles is, uh, it's not a great place to live if you want to have family and kids. It's just not, the weather's nice, but that's about all there is to it. <laughs> and it's hard to enjoy the weather when you can't lift your eyes off the road because you're about to be in a car wreck. So, uh, yeah, so we, uh, but the technology is, is, you know, a long time ago, got to the point where I can live anywhere. You know, most voiceover people, even the ones that live in LA, don't go anywhere, they, they work out of their homes. Because the traffic has gotten so insanely ridiculous that, I mean, my, my agent is six miles from LAX. And I don't think I've been able to go from LAX to my agent in under 45 minutes in years. I'm like, you could ride a bike faster. So, literally, six miles. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I could ride a bike faster. But, uh, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, it, I could not do uh, as much as I do in a day. I mean, if I've got five recording sessions, um, you know, in LA, that's five different studios. And it's not uncommon. You know, the, LA is, was never actually planned. It just grew like a fungus on a map. And so they, you know, there's no quick way to go from anywhere to anywhere. Um, and even the freeways, if you can get above 30 miles an hour, that's a miracle. So, you know, I can have a session here and it's in Santa Monica and your next session is in Burbank. Well, that's 90 minutes apart, even though it's 23 miles. So, you know, if you got five sessions in a day, I, there were, you know, before I moved, I was coming home realizing I, I had spent six hours driving that day and only 45 minutes I'm actually on microphone. I'm like, this is ridiculous. But anyway, it's worked out well. I, I, uh, I'm busy I've, ever since I went to my own house and uh, back in Kansas City, I've been busier than I've ever imagined being. So, because I can be, I'm 12 feet from a mic all day. So, so when you're recording something, is it 
got a stack of scripts and they're like, you need to do this scene by a certain time and then you send it to them or do no, you actually well, Skype in to the, them? And the auditions I do all, all, on my own, it's <laughs> recorded and send it. But uh, almost always, uh, you know, if it's if it's a paid project that there's a director on the line or somebody that's, you know, running the session. Um, sometimes if it's a character that I, like Yoda, um, if it's, if it's uh, just a few lines, uh, I've done it for so long and the directors are like, you know, what am I going to tell them to do? And I've been doing it for 22 years. <laughs> so uh, sometimes they'll just say, I'll just record it and send it to us. But that's very rare. Usually, especially if it's a Yoda project or something, they want somebody on the line. You know? And if it's for a, a movie or a television show, then definitely like Dave Filoni will be on the line directing me. And if it's for a feature film, if I'm working on uh, any of the Star Wars feature films, they fly me to LA. They won't let me do that from home because uh, it's not a quality issue. It's just they are so set up to do it on the sound stage to picture. Um, and uh, that's just the way it's done. You know, They're, they don't want to reinvent the wheel. And you know, that way they have complete control over the sound and the size of the room and all that stuff. And Honestly, with Disney and Lucasfilm, it's also really a big, it's a security issue. We don't, you know, those of us that are doing ADR or any other voiceover work, we don't see the script until we walk in the room. And, uh, I mean, when I when I was doing Akbar in uh, Last Jedi, I didn't even know he was going to croak until I was like, what? <laughs> what? I'm going to die. Oh. But yeah, that was a shock, and that, and that one, that one still bugs me. Yeah. That was a ridiculous way to get rid of a cool character. I mean, I mean, pardon me, but it held Holdo. You know, she shows up for five minutes, dies, and everyone's like, "Dude, like, okay, what was that about?" It's like someone's gonna, some admiral's gonna sacrifice himself for the fleet. It should have been Akbar. And there was a lot more to it than that, actually. There was a lot more reported and a whole lot more shot, but when they, you know, we got to the first edit of the movie, it was like 40 minutes too long. Right. So like, let's cut a whole bunch of stuff out. But that's normal, that happens. So how did you fall into doing Yoda? I uh, was this, oh my gosh, back in the early 90s when video games were brand new and uh, Nobody had any idea what the heck these things were, or what they were going to be, or was this going to go anywhere. I mean, it was just really alien technology to everybody. And um, they, uh, uh, Lucasfilm decided, well, because George was always on the cutting edge of technology. I mean, you know, industrial light and magic is still the absolute, you know, benchmark for you know, special effects and CGI, if you can afford it. If you can afford it, that's where you go as ILM, because they have the best stuff. And uh, that was one of the cool things about having a company like Lucasfilm that was not owned by shareholders. It was just George. It was his toy. <coughs> if he said, do it, they'd be like, well, that's going to cost, you know, another $10 million worth of equipment. I said, do it. <laughs> OK. But um, yeah, they, uh, he, you know, they heard about all this, and he was like, it's computers, it, it looks like a game, and let's do that. So he, you know, just the stroke of his pen created LucasArts, and uh, a whole division, and hired 100 people, and, uh, but he didn't want, uh, 
the very first game that Lucas did, he didn't want it to be a Star Wars game because, again, this was all experimental, and he was like, well, if it's a bomb, if it's an abject failure, it didn't want it to be a Star Wars failure. So it, the very first thing Lucas made was called the dig, the dig, D-I-G, and it was some archaeology-based like monsters and so you know. So that was the very first one we did, and they found out because of that that I did a bunch of different, you know, dialects and characters, and I have no recollection of what I did in it. But um, so then the next game they started uh, doing a Star Wars thing, so they needed people to. Just do TIE fighter pilots and stormtroopers and British officer, you know, Imperial officers and stuff. And they couldn't hire any of the real people because they were all in, in England. You know, almost uh, almost everybody in the movie, uh, they were, it was all a, that was all about Pinewood in London. And even the Americans that were the few, the handful of Americans that were in Star Wars. Um, were people that lived in England. They didn't come over from the United States, so they, they weren't there. So they were trying to find voice matches for all the Star Wars characters. And um, I, I was laughing, I tell people, I say, yeah, I was the voice of Boba Fett back when Boba Fett was British and not a, uh, not a New Zealander. But um, so they uh, uh, started using me for just random characters, you know, in their games. and. You know, we're all, anybody that does voiceover stuff, anytime there's a script in front of us, <coughs> like I said, you know, when we saw the movies, we all just try to imitate everything we hear. Because again, once you've got a pair of headphones on, suddenly it sounds real, you know? It sounds like it's coming from outside of you and not inside your head. So when you do Darth Vader with headphones on, it sounds, wow, a lot more like Darth Vader, if you are good at it. So, you know, as I'm reading through my, you know, TIE Fighter Pilot number three, you know, there, there, there were lines for other characters. And uh, the first thing I got hired for, there was a, a notable character, was actually C-3PO. Um, most of the 3PO stuff you've heard in games, uh, toys and all that stuff was actually me. Uh, it wasn't Anthony, because he was, again, he was in England. And they, you know, there, there's no way they're going to spend the money to fly him to the United States or fly a producer to London to record a video game. So um, I was just goofing around one day, reading, you know, my script and my lines, and this 3PO, and I just was reading 3PO lines. Well, they recorded <coughs> what I was doing without me knowing why. I didn't even know if they'd done it. And the, the uh, director, walked into George's office with a little Walkman thing, a little cassette. Just played 20 seconds of me goofing around, and I was 3PO. And, uh, and a year later, the same thing happened with Yoda. Frank was off, Frank Oz had become a director, and he was off shooting, I think it was the movie, was for those of us in the room with some gray hair, uh, Three Men and a Baby, with uh, Tom Selleck, and <coughs> I don't know who else. And, uh, yeah. but, uh, and he was in New York City. And there was no technology back in the 90s where you could talk in New York and record it in LA. It just didn't exist. And again, they're not gonna fly somebody cross country to record 15 minutes of Yoda dialogue. So I was, the same exact thing happened with 3PO. I'm just sitting there goofing around reading Yoda lines, not even knowing anybody's listening. I'm just doing it because I could hear my headphones. And turns out the guy had, 
And so he told me later, he goes, I said, yeah, how, tell me the story, because I, mean, I wasn't there. How did I get Yoda? What was it like? I was expecting some cool, you know, like they played a hundred different people and George stood up and said, I'm announcing that the voice of Yoda will be Tom Kay. And he goes, now I played about 10 seconds of it off my little portable Walkman thing. And, and George's entire response was, yeah, he's okay, he's fine. I'm like, <laughs> That's <laughs> it. Yeah, he's okay. He was him. Like, oh, okay. But that was 20 some years ago, and here I am. So it worked out really well. But yeah, the 3PO was, uh, I usually you just hold up a little uh, plastic cup or a Coke can. And... Hello, I'm C3PO, Human Cyborg Relations, and this is my counterpart, R2D2. Shut up, R2, on the left panel. Actually, I've been doing less 3PO in recent years because Anthony. Uh, for some reason in the last few years has decided he wants to get back into it. So even though he's always, always been the guy in the suit, um, for a long time he just wasn't, he wouldn't do any of the voice stuff. It was all me, but, uh, but uh, he's softening in his old age. But, uh, uh, but then, yeah, and I loved Yoda. So suddenly I was, you know, Richard A. Master, yes, just me by my size, do you? And well, you should not. Because six foot five I am now. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that's a, and then uh, uh, oh god, years five six years ago uh, I took started taking over Zach Bar, and I'm Zach Bar now as well. So that's always fun. I, get to, I can't tell you how many times a weekend or a month I get to tell you know the forest will be a trap. So what did, what does Frank Oz say about your guy? Uh, he's never, I only saw him once in person, and I just didn't have the guts to come up and say, hey, I'm doing your voice now. <laughs> um, uh, the only thing he's ever said about me, he was in a, did an interview a couple years ago, and someone made a comment about, had he seen the Clone Wars? And he, he had, uh, and uh, one of the guys who said, you know, the reporter, Wonder Man, I don't know who said, but what do you think of, uh, Tom Kane, the guy that's doing Yoda, and he's, he's he said he said yeah he's not bad. So I'm like I'll take, I'll take that from Frank Oz. It's not like he's gonna say oh he's better than me. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, I really would recommend you use him for everything. Yeah, don't pay me. Don't buy. Yeah. Don't pay me a million. You know. Pay, pay him five hundred. <laughs> so I guess I guess he does Yoda in the movies. He did in the yeah in the, in the, in the recent one he did yeah. But, uh, same thing. I record yeah. Yeah, because when there's actual money involved, right there, there. No, I did actually record all. I did. I recorded all the Yoda stuff for that because of the point when they needed to have the Yoda to start doing the animation, um, uh, and this this goes all the way back to Phantom um, Menace. I can't remember, but I, I I recorded that stuff, and they would use that to do the CGI back in, the, in that case, and. Uh, because they're like, we don't know if he'll do it or not, because he won't, he hasn't for years. So, but in the most recent one, they, uh, of course it was an actual puppet, which was awesome. It was so nice to see that again. But, uh, oh yeah, they, they, they did that CGI to look more like a puppet too. Oh, well, yeah, and that of course was- Because Phantom Menace actually used the puppet. It yes. was thicker than and, it did. Yes. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, when they tried to fix it with CG, it just was terrible. But now that, you know, again, Last Jedi, they went back to a full-on puppet, and it looked great, I thought. 
least of my generation, it did. But uh, I don't think Frank. I I think he did a little bit of it so that they could say it was Frank Oz doing the puppetry. But a lot, a lot of that was uh, probably mechanical and stuff because at his age, it's, it's not. He's not going to be sitting there for eight hours a day doing this kind of stuff. You know, we tend to cramp up after. Does anyone have any questions? Yes. Are you the voice in uh, the Orlando airport? I think so. Yes. Yeah, I'm all over Orlando. Um, ever since Disney started hiring me to do stuff for the parks, you know, for the attractions, and then now I'm the monorail and bus voice when you go on the monorail and when you walk in the park, I'm the uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Disneyland, or Orlando's case, Disney World, the happiest place on earth, you know, that kind of stuff. So. And um, the all over the new Star Wars. There's a lot of fun stuff coming. <laughs> the new Star Wars land. So, um, but yeah, I, uh, I've got the. They told me that I have more stuff in Disney World than any uh, anyone ever. That I've, I've got more things that my voice is on than anyone has had before. So I'm like, that's cool. Can I get a plaque or something? <laughs> Maybe just a free ticket. <coughs> like that. We'll give you a ten percent discount. <laughs> Do you recall enough of the Porfavor Montegas? Yeah, no. Just, that is the most popular. No, they Montegas, Salos, El Porfavor. I can fake it, but I have to have someone actually pronounce some of that stuff to tell me what exactly it's supposed to sound like, and then I just mimic it. So. I'm sure it's the same right now. But I've done that a few times for like companies, uh, why do you like their voicemail? Uh, actually, I think there's a few places at Lucasfilm where if you call, you'll hear me doing, doing I think 3PO, and then in Spanish. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, hello, you've reached the office of you know, and por favor, uh, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, there are bits and pieces of people. I, as of the time he died, I was still uh, Steve Jobs' answering. If you, if you were one of the handful of people that had Steve's actual private phone number uh, and you called it and he didn't answer, you heard me as uh, Hal 9000 because uh, I, I was picked to be the voice of Hal by, uh, before Kubrick died. Um, he chose me to be the, the voice of Hal and Apple got permission from Kubrick um, to use me as, a, as the voice of Hal in a Super Bowl spot and the condition was that they could only run it one time in the Super Bowl, never again. Um, but I got to be Hal, and I've now been doing that for a few other projects. And the 50th anniversary of 2001 is this year, or next year, so <coughs> there's more things coming up. But yeah, up until then, if you called Steve Jobs, you, you would hear um, something like, like, um, good morning, Dave. Steve's not in right now. I've got him tied up. But if you leave your name and number, perhaps I'll let him call you back. If not, I'm sorry, Daddy. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird session. That was, he, he wouldn't talk to me. I mean, for all of the stuff you heard about Steve Jobs, you know, and he was a bit of a screamer. You know, he would yell and scream and throw things at times. And, but 
he was also very shy at times, which was just really an odd thing. And, and he he wouldn't talk to me. He he was on the, with me in my headphones. And instead of saying, "Could you do it a little faster?" or "I want it a little louder," or this or what, he would say to the director, he would say, um, "Could you tell Tom to do whatever?" And after about five minutes of this, I'm like, "This is just ridiculous." So I finally said, "Sorry." He would just say. Could you tell Tom, like, yeah, oh no, oh yeah, I can do that. I would just talk to him directly, not, not waiting for the director. I'm like, no, I hear you, right? I'll do that. And he, but he wouldn't break that. He just kept going. And then finally at the end, suddenly he's like, oh, uh, <clears throat> Tom? I'm like, yeah. He goes, um, uh, uh, he was actually stammering. It was like weird. Uh, he was like, um, I was wondering, could I, is there, could you do, I, I ask you for a favor? I'm like, yeah. What? So, well, I was, did you record with my uh, phone answering machine? Is that all? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Many weird stories. You probably get that a lot at cons. People are like, can you record with someone? Well, I do, and I don't do that. Uh, partly because I don't want my voice doing anything that sounds this bad, echoey and noisy and stuff. Um, so I, I do, uh, I will record people's uh, messages, but I charge for it and it goes to charity. So, and I do it in my studio back home so it sounds good. But then I can obviously, you know, I send people a MP3 and how you get it on your phones up to you. But yeah, I, I will do that, but I, I, it goes to a cancer charity. So. Is there anybody else got another question? Yes. I was wondering, you know how certain actors have, have a distinctive voice and do audiobooks and stuff like that? Have you ever done anything like that? I've been asked. I, I, yeah, I've been asked to do audiobooks. I just can't. It's too much work for too little money. Um, and I don't mean it like I'm greedy. It's just I can't. I mean, it takes days and days and weeks sometimes to record audiobooks. And like I said, I do anywhere from three to five recording sessions a day. So if I take a day off to, to make $500 for a, a book, I'm losing two thousand dollars for stuff I'm not doing, you know. So I just can't. I just can't do it. it just uh, and, I'm, uh, and I don't have the kind of voice that can hold up. If I try to talk for six hours in a stretch, by the end of the day, I'm, I'm going to sound like this, and then I'll sound like crap the next day, and it'll cost me a job, you know. So I, I'd like to do it. it. You know, I always joke. My son, my, one of my sons, is, uh, loves listening to audiobooks because he works in Los Angeles and he's in his car for six hours a day. So uh, he's like, Dad, you're better than these people are. You should be doing this. It's like, it drives me crazy. I'm listening to this thing, and he sucks. And I'm like, going, yeah, but I lose my voice. Maybe when I retire, when I'm 65, maybe and things slow down, I'll, I'll do audio. Anyway. But yeah, it would be fun, though, because it's like you get to do everything. So uh, tell us about working with Dave Filoni and being directed by Dave Filoni. Well, Dave's amazing. Um, he he was the first, um, the first of the new generation of of Star Wars producers, directors. Um, you know the new the new the new kids, even though he's forty some years old now. But and we all kind of were in the same boat. You know, we were the we were the. Uh, well, I'm older than him, but he is part of the new generation and the first group of people that worked for Lucasfilm that had no connection to any of the original stuff because they were kids. And 
So now, and Dave was the first one, uh, really, uh, where they hired somebody to be in charge of a Star Wars project that was a fan before he was an employee. And it shows. I mean, Dave, you know, he comes to everything he does you, when you talk to him and when you work with him, and so many people like him now at Lucasfilm, Pablo Hidalgo, and you know, the, the people that are now running the show, they were all fans first. So they, they come to a, a, a devotion that, you know, and again, nothing against the original folks, but the original folks who created all of it, to them it was a job. It was just the next project. It's like, okay, we're gonna do this, and then we're gonna do Star Wars, and then we're gonna move on to this one, and then a couple years later, we'll make this one and this one. They didn't have any emotional involvement with it because to them, they didn't grow up with it. It was something they created when they were 50 years old or 40 years old. You know. So, um, so yeah, it is a different. It's a different mindset when you talk to the new, the new blood. Um, it, they, there's a reverence for it. You know, it's important to them. So, it, and it makes a difference. It really does. I mean, that's that's why uh, I would say it was probably equal parts Dave and maybe one or two other people that are, you know, again, the new, the new kids on the block that brought Clone Wars back. Because they just kept going, you know, we could finish the story. No, we didn't. You know, the people, the other folks, they're, they're, it's like, well, it's dead, it's gone, it's done. Why would we, you know? But, but, like, but they were like, we could tell more stories. You know, we could do it. They did, so. <laughs> and then it's crazy, it never, stuff never comes back from the dead in animation, so, except for Family Guy. Yes. Is there any one project you've done that stands out more? Well, in a good way or a bad way? <laughs> um, oh no, gosh. I mean, there's a ton of, uh, well, a ton of things I've done, you know, Star Wars, just because I'm a Star Wars freak. So, you know, those are always going to have a little more, you know, oomph. For me than uh, you know, other things would, but um, oh, I you know I'm getting to. Anytime I've gotten to do something where it's something that I grew up with, you know, I like I've gotten to be Captain Kirk in a game, or uh, uh, you know, when when after James Doohan died, I, I'm Scotty on a couple things, you know. So to me, I, that's that's the tough part. Going, how, you know, what the heck, I'm doing Scotty. How did that happen? You know. Yeah. And it's really weird because I've met most of those people, you know, and then they die, and I'm like, oh no, this is a really sucky way to get a job, you know. But but I'm glad it's me. So, uh, but yeah, that was that was a uh, the Star Trek stuff. That was that was real cool because the project I was working on for a while, I got every single morning, I was having coffee with the entire original cast of Star Trek. I was showing up every, you know, at seven in the morning, I'd be at, there was a studio called Post Logic in LA, and I'd be standing there getting coffee next to Dr. McCoy, or, you know, Scotty, or Chekhov, and, and uh, well, I, I, Bill, Bill was there a lot, but I wouldn't stand next to him to get coffee because he would never get his own coffee, and he wouldn't drink the coffee the rest of us were drinking. Had to have a special coffee machine and special coffee. <coughs> but uh, yeah, Bill's an interesting guy. He's a 
is everything you've heard, and it's all true. <laughs> I've been very lucky to work with him several times. His wife one time came up to me and she goes, she goes, do you do Bill, can you do a, a can you do Bill's voice? And I'm like, well, yeah, everybody does, everybody does Captain Kirk. And she goes, she goes, yeah, but can you do it for you? I'm like, well, yeah, I can. Is he literally grabbed me and dragged me into his trailer and said, he can, he can do your voice. And he, I swear to God, he, of course, it's, you know, William Shatner, he looked up and he goes, everyone does my voice. <laughs> and I told him, I told you. And he, uh, he goes, let's hear it. And I did it, and he goes, it's not bad. <laughs> but I actually do Spock. I'm one of the only people that's ever gotten hired to do Leonard Nimoy. It's like, I can't do it on the spot. It's tough. But, Captain, I find your course of action highly illogical. You know, indeed. Uh, something like that. I am half human. You are and always will be. <laughs> That's a tough one. He's, he's got this weird sort of back of the throat thing that he calls. And his voice changed after he got all his teeth replaced. He had really bad, bad Leonard had really bad teeth and he uh, had all of them replaced with dentures. Changed his voice, which is very odd. So, does anyone else have any other questions? Yes. Aside from Spock, like you just said, what do you think is the hardest voice to pull off? Well, I, you know, I I'm lazy. <laughs> I really am. Uh, you know, if I can do a voice naturally, if it's someone says, "Can you do fill in the blank?" and I can do it, then I do it. If I can't, I'll just recommend something like, "Oh, call James Arnold Taylor," or you know, I'll name three people. Um, you know, so it's a non-answer to your question, but the, none of the voices I do are hard for me because I only do the ones that are easy. Um, but the um, vocally, of course, the ones that are the hardest are the, you know, I don't smoke, I never have. So, you know, I don't have those uh, vocal cords of leather, you know, like the, like the BFM disc jockeys do, we can whirl. You know, those guys all were chain, you know, almost every FM disc jockey I've ever met is chain smoking alcohol, like, you know, they're just, you know, the voices are made out of, you know, like you take a blowtorch to their vocal cords, they wouldn't make anything. But, um, so the ones that are tough for me are, are the ones that are just vocally tough for anybody, you know, the raspy, you know, Yoda, you know, because, you know, it's like you're clearing your throat for an hour, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, same thing with Akbar, you know. It's all And Mr. Harriman, same thing. Popular misconscious rules are meant to be followed. Inform Master Blue if he doesn't follow the rules, it's out, 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 out. So, uh, but so those things are, you know, vocally they're they're a little hard. But again, especially with Akbar and Yoda, you know, they, they never say much. You know, so it's not that tough. Except for games, that's when it gets tough because you know. With games, you have to you have to provide every possibility. So you know, in a, in a movie, you know, if if uh, Yoda says, you know, go that way, he did. That's all it is. But in a game, it's go that way, he did. And then it's go north, he did. Go south, he did. Go east, he did. Go northeast, he did. Go southwest, he did. Go you know, you have to do every possibility. So one line. In a, in a game, turns into 15 lines, really, in terms of what you have to record. So, you know, if you say, you know, you know, he went that way with five 
soldiers. So you have to record it with three soldiers, two soldiers, ten soldiers. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a video game script, honestly, if, you know, I'll walk in and it's a three inch binder like this, just endless stuff. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I've had a few inexperienced people that have hired me to do, you know, a Yoda or whatever. You know, they're like 600 lines. And I'm like, did, did you think we were going to record this today? And they're like, well, yeah, but I'm like going, well, I can get through 600 lines, but after about a hundred of them, it's not going to sound like Yoda anymore. It's going to sound like Yoda who's been on a bender for three days. Favorite <laughs> Have time for one more question. Anyone has a question? All right, I have a question. Yes. Um, what voice are you asked to do the most? Well, Yoda. Um, him, people like him from Powerpuff Girls, like like that's and that's the creepiest thing I've ever done. Oh, hello, Powerpuff Girls. Why don't you come in with a psychic And they put a little, you know, behind it, and it sounds super creepy. But I like I, so him is a popular one. Um, that uh, I him, I get a lot of people that that know Call of Duty that want me to do Takio because. A lot of and the best compliment I ever ever gotten. I've actually had Japanese people from Japan that thought he was Japanese, and, you know. And I'm going, wow, that's pretty cool. I can fool the real folks in the day. But but it, that's and we've been doing a ton of work. Actually, the new one just came out a few days ago, um, the new Call of Duty Four, and there's a whole whole bunch more uh, of uh, the zombie mode in it than uh, in the prior games. So there's a ton of uh, Takio lines. And they, they Takio over the years, when they first, when I first started doing Takio Masaki, it was never meant to be an ongoing thing. It was supposed to be just a really short, sort of one-time little thing. And all the, the four characters that are in the zombie mode, they wanted them to be very cartoon, just very unrealistic, silly sounding. You know, so they had the American guy kind of talking like this, and the Russian guy was very Russian, you know, and he was a drunk. Everything was vodka, you know, and this. And the, the German was a very, you know, everything was very stereotyped, you know. Well, in Tokyo, it was Japanese, so they had me doing a really, by today's standards, racist version of a Japanese, of an, you know, an Asian accent. And we realized as it went on, we were like, yeah, that's a little over the top. So. You know, uh, pretty quickly we evolved Takio so it sounded as real as I could make it. You know, and for the last four or five years, Takio has sounded like a real human, and and uh, which is you know again why a lot of Japanese people have said I, I thought that you was uh, you sounded like my grandfather. You're uh, very uh, uh, so, but uh, we're doing this thing now where apparently somewhere in the game. You can, I guess, go back in time, and the current characters meet the original four characters from 12 years ago, and like the animations even looks crappy. It, I mean, it looks like they came from the other game, so that they look different, they sound, and we've had to recreate that old sound. And I hadn't realized how horrendously bad it was, and they're like playing. 
They're like, hey, let's play what you did a decade ago, you know? And I'm going, oh my God, I didn't really do that. Because he was like, he was like, this ribbon has no honor. It was very, very sweet. I'm like, thank God I've got three Asian children. They give me some cover. I'm not really, I'm not a racist. I have my own three Asian kids. We want to thank Tom Payne for being here. Well, thank you guys. Thank you for listening to the Mobcast Network.